Welcome to another exciting episode of the NPCs Discuss, where we talk about the video game industry, events, history, controversies, and more. On today's episode, over the last 15 years, the tech industry has continued to push us into using the cloud for nearly everything we do. While many of the things we do in the cloud today have become commonplace, such as document generation and photo sharing, one of the things that hasn't hit its stride yet is gaming in the cloud. We as gamers are used to our physical systems more than anything, knowing that we can play games with hopefully minimal fuss because everything is at our fingertips. However, the notion of playing AAA titles on the cloud on nearly any device at nearly any time is a rather enticing offering. But some of the same limitations that we have with the rest of the cloud can be more visible when playing games. So what's the fuss with it? How did we get here? And what is going on now that could shape the future of playing games? Let's dive into the discuss to talk about cloud gaming. My name is Travis Sherman, and as always for the NPCs Discuss, I am joined by Kyle Inman. Kyle, hello. Hello, how's it going? Well, uh, it's going. It's, it's going. going. We obviously, of course, have not had a Discuss recorded in quite some time now, and I felt, of course, with the uh, recent announcement from uh, the judge in the Microsoft versus FTC case, you know, ruling in Microsoft's favor, there was Kind of some talk, of course, about the cloud and cloud offerings when it comes to gaming, and it just felt like a good idea to maybe circle around and, of course, have our own discussion about it, though, too, and talk kind of about where things are at with all of this. Yeah, especially with, uh, I, I think it was the CMA, their big hang-up was the cloud gaming, and they've seemed to kind of, uh, I guess, realign to uh, after the, the whole FTC uh, ruling. But I, I guess it, it, it's kind of a wait and see um, with that. But I, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna see it go through regardless. But cloud gaming is becoming more and more of a hot topic um, since we started talking about it. I mean, initially we were talking about Stadia even starting up, and now Stadia is dead, and X Cloud's the only thing that's there really, as far as I guess mass availability to to people, and there there are other services that are becoming more readily available, as well as you know a classic service that that has been available for a long time. Um, but I mean, albeit some caveats with that one. Um, but I I don't know. It, it's it's definitely a growing topic as we've we've progressed and seen the rise and fall of Stadia and and the the progression of xcloud absolutely but of course for the uh, audience in case they may not be aware let's go ahead and hit this up here starting off really with how wikipedia defines cloud gaming they go on to say cloud gaming sometimes called gaming on demand or game streaming is a type of online gaming that runs video games on remote servers and streams them directly to a user's device or more colloquially eh, colloquially I tried pronouncing that earlier when I was reviewing the notes anyway, or more colloquially, playing a game remotely from a cloud. It contrasts with traditional means of gaming, wherein a game runs locally on a user's video game console, personal computer, or mobile device. So that basically sets the tone for it, is that cloud gaming is a on-demand service that does not require you to actually have a console that this service may normally, or game may normally run on in its in what we know of as it's like normal form. Uh, but yeah, there has been a lot of evolution with cloud gaming in the last, 
decade, really more than anything. I mean, I'm going to drop a name here, Kyle, as I was reviewing some mm -hmm. of these like legacy cloud gaming services uh, on live, for example, is one. And on live actually was probably one of the more popular ones to start off. And then they kind of fell through. Uh, it wasn't in the sense of like what Stadia did. And of course, we'll get to Stadia later on. Uh, but they offered, of course, cloud gaming with their own uh, device. They had their own uh, controller. And you could also do the on live stuff through like your own computer, for example, and connect your controller up and play games that way, too. But they would stream to you and they'd have different tiers. Well, of course, they went under and all of the patents that they had for game streaming actually ended up being purchased by Sony of all people or all companies, I guess I should say. So, you know, I wanted to. I wanted to kind of throw that back there to kind of like the the back in time stuff with like, you know, on live as an example, because uh, they announced that back in March 2009 at GDC. Oh, wow. and then. Yeah. And then uh, it looks like the biggest thing, though, is that they ended up. Uh, let's see. When did they actually shut down here? Uh, looks like they shut down sometime in probably 2012, 2013. And Sony picked up all of their patents and IP back in April of 2015. So I guess I guess they picked up on live in April 2015, took all of their assets and such, and then basically just shut them down. But of course, Sony is right now in the midst of trying to bolster their cloud gaming service, which we already know is in like some sort of like alpha beta form right now that's getting ready to be trialed out, but is not in a full fledged offering similar to some of these other cloud gaming uh, services at this point in time. Yeah, and actually it looks like the uh, purchase took place in uh, July of 2012, um, and they they introduced the PlayStation Now service uh, in 2014 using the OnLive. Yeah, so a lot of that all kind of rolled in together yeah, though, so. to, to create something. So yeah. It's interesting kind of to go back in time and think about, you know, where the cloud stuff started off at. And like 2009, especially when that was announced and, and revealed, you know, we were kind of in that first, second generation of Android devices, for example. Mm -hmm. Like you remember when the Moto Droid was announced with Verizon and then we started seeing all these other companies come out with Android devices. There was kind of a market, but at the same time, mobile gaming was not anywhere near what it is now and neither were like the networks that you connected to to be able to play uh anything streaming wise that you know like we can today it's it just was not there right and even in the early playstation now i recall um i i want to say i got a trial of it uh many many years ago and th uh, this had to have been on early PS4, maybe even PS3 or something. But um, I, I just recall the, the service not being the greatest, and at least initially to start with. Um, the only thing that they really had to offer was like PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games at that time. Um, and even their offering of PlayStation 2 games was quite meager. So, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it, I, I think a lot of that had to do with the the fact that, you know, they couldn't transfer the bitrate fast enough uh, for the games to quite function right. Um, maybe, I I don't know. Um, some And 
I, I imagine it was probably easier to do with a lot of earlier titles with lower frame rates, less less stuff to draw in the environment and such. But I mean, you know, and just you you think about the the fact that where we're at now streaming full games, it's just in comparison that that's remarkable. Yeah, it's kind of a just it's interesting to think about what we're actually seeing, of course, right now, though, and where kind of stuff has evolved up to. But the idea, though, that things go back as far as they did mm-hmm. and, you know, and it's kind of funny to think, oh, was was 2009 really that long ago? And it's like, yeah, in the world of technology, that kind of was a while ago. Yeah. And it it when it comes down to actually looking at time frames for technology itself, though, it's like things move really fast. So the idea, though, of course, that on live started something. And then, of course, there was uh, Gaikai as well that ended up being picked up by Sony first. And then the on live IP ended up getting picked up after, you know, right. goes to show that at least there was some idea that this stuff made sense, but to a certain degree. Yeah, so, it, it kind of raises the question strange. that, you know, Sony, they they knew what was coming, but they didn't quite know how to utilize it just yet. So they really did have their toes in the water quite a ways before Microsoft ever did in the the cloud gaming realm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's kind of talk about some of these other things with cloud as we go on, though, too, Mm -hmm. of course, is just like it's funny to think about like the stuff in the past here. So like referencing the Wikipedia article here that we have and the link, of course, is in the notes. Uh, of course, is talking about even farther back than that is that there was a a demo at E3 in the year 2000 of all years about Whoa. a gaming technology then. And it's it wasn't there wasn't even, I believe, like the term cloud, uh, excuse me, cloud being used for anything related to like the, the technology sector because we didn't like AWS didn't exist. Uh, Google Cloud didn't, didn't exist. Azure didn't exist. You know, there, there wasn't anything like that. Yeah, and no, so, back then it was the concept yeah. of uh, G-Cluster gaming. Yeah, so G-Cluster, of course, they showed off their product at E3 2000 and then released it three years later. And then around 2005, they did a lot of really what we're seeing more nowadays, like with NVIDIA GeForce Now, is that they ran PC games on their servers. And then... What they would do, though, is instead of actually pushing them to, say, people's computers, one of the things that they tried to rely on to get into people's houses was using uh, video-on-demand service providers, set-top box manufacturers, and then, of course, they make mention of middleware software providers. So effectively, what it is is that they relied on these existing devices that probably were in everybody's house already anyway given of course the the rise of set-top boxes for watching television anyway compared to you know like with cable plugging in a uh, a cable right into the wall and just going and watching tv uh that you could have that additional horsepower at least underneath to help with pushing those games up to your television and running them without of course having you know another dedicated device or who knows, maybe your your Dell box PC wouldn't necessarily handle anything there either. But needless to say, though, the idea of trying to offer something like this was a very interesting attempt. And it's funny that you think you can even go back farther than that with, uh, what was it, the Nintendo channel that apparently existed with uh, the Nintendo 64 and the disk drive. And then didn't yeah. 
Dreamcast have something too? Like there was the Sega Channel as well, or was that going back even farther in Sega? Sega Channel actually went back a little bit further. That was actually hosted by your cable company, and that came through your regular coaxes programming. Um, so you essentially had a coax cable that was plugged in uh, to I want I I believe if I remember right, it was the box that you you had plugged into the system or like an additional box almost like a 32x that was plugged into the top so almost like the precursor to like a cable modem then is that it would just basically be used that way then in a sense and the the cool thing about the sega channel too is there were unique titles that weren't ever actually released into physical copies that actually hit the sega channel and i i don't believe there was actually even roms released until recently of those titles and I think one of them actually hit the switch. Maybe uh, I'd have to double check that, though. Hmm, that is actually really interesting to think about. That there could mm-hmm. have been, you know, that they, there could still be something around from there. At least I guess you know to enjoy times of you know of uh, the past, but at the same time, of course, not relying on having to plug a coax cable directly into the back of your uh, console though to play anything. Right, especially if you already say had. Uh, the the coax cable occupying you know the back of your TV, and then you had an additional coax cable plugged into a cartridge essentially that was plugged into the cartridge slot. That's insane. No kidding. Yeah, the level like we th- we like to joke about the level of complexity for like plugging in the original PlayStation VR. You know, you got to think about yeah. like back in the day for how much more bulk there was to everything that you were working with. Um, I mean, granted, yes, the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 are nothing short of being monoliths themselves, but you also got to think, though, really about where the technologies evolved at anyway. So it's kind of yeah. funny to think about that, you know, we've passed that point, but we still have to deal with some of that. But anyway, um, let's kind of get into more of the, I guess, modern stuff. And I'm putting that in air quotes right now because obviously some of these things are kind of around, some of these things aren't. Um, one of the things that kind of kicked off things for uh, game streaming, at least kind of moved into the next phase of it, was with NVIDIA. So they originally had released uh, devices known as the NVIDIA Shields. Uh, they had a handheld device for several years that looked like an Xbox controller with a screen that flipped up. They had a Shield tablet that would work with a controller that looks similar to that. And then they also... Uh, have released and have still support to this day a set-top box specifically running Android TV that lets you do more than just play games on it. But when they announced it, they originally announced it as NVIDIA Grid. And so what they ended up doing was setting up servers that effectively ran NVIDIA GPUs and allowed you to play games through their service. So while they showed that stuff off and they showed exactly what they were going to be doing with it, uh, they continued pushing. It was rather a slow pace for them. So they announced it originally. They announced Grid in May of 2012 and kind of pushed farther ahead in 2017 to start working towards integrating with other services where you already have games. So Steam, Epic Game Store, as an example. So maybe like you, let's say your gaming PC broke, Kyle. Like let's say that the machine next to you overheated to the point that it's just now a melted you know, pile of goo and you want to be able to play the games that you already have in your Steam library or your Epic Game Store library, then you could go to, say, your less powerful laptop and hook up to that 
service from NVIDIA and play all the games you already own for a certain fee to be able to access their resources. So that's one of the key things with the, or at least the positions of GeForce Now or what was previously known as Grid is that you could actually go and play Mm -hmm. what you own without having to rebuy other games. You just pay basically to use someone else's computer. And that was kind of revolutionary in its own way because it at least started to bridge that gap between, you know, not needing a high-powered system to play this game and mm-hmm. just rent out high-powered uh, hardware that existed somewhere else. Right. I, I mean, with still with some limitations. I mean, there there's going to oh, be yeah, bottlenecks and whatnot. But, I, I mean... For for someone especially that, you know, has lost the ability to access, you know, if they've got a large game library like uh, I do or you do, and um, especially, you know, that if they already have access to the, the GeForce Now service or, you know, there's there's quite a few titles that are actually hosted through the service um, what, if you already own them. So, I mean... If you were to lose that and to be able to re-access it just through a laptop, like you were saying, it, it could be tremendous, uh, you know, for for someone. But, I mean, with the bottlenecks, I mean, there there are still some limitations. And I they I, I want to say they did, in, with their Shield, uh, have access with one of the versions that you could just completely access the uh cloud if i'm not mistaken you didn't have to have a pc to access it correct yeah yeah so that that's the way it's been like that was their first offering with the stuff was literally they offered the geforce now uh more specifically on their shield devices before moving over to making Mm -hmm. it like a uh, a PC offering. It was that way. It was it was more or less like a closed ecosystem, if you want to call it that. Right. But it was still one of those that didn't necessarily rely on you having a PC. But like, you know, if your PC was broken, but you had access to all these games, but you also had an NVIDIA Shield device, then it's like you could sign up for the service, link things together and play your games remotely, you know, without having to go spend all the money to build a brand new system. Right, right. But even but, with all that, though, I mean, you know, things continued on, at least outside of NVIDIA Shield. We had, of course, uh, we had, of course, some other things that also occurred where EA even started looking into the possibility of creating some sort of service. Uh, we also saw, of course, that Google had started working on something, but we didn't have a name for it at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Microsoft also started working on something, though, too. So... What we saw, though, out of Google ended up being what's known as Stadia. And what we saw out of Microsoft, they called it Project X Cloud, which now it's just, I believe, Xbox Game Streaming is all it's called now, is the official title for it. And I then, so, of course, yeah. yeah, and then, like, kind of summing up here these last couple of years, um, we had, of course, Amazon drop their own. Of course, mm-hmm. it's called Luna, and it's been available since September 2020. And then one of the other things that kind of came as a surprise is that Nintendo also started to offer uh, cloud gaming, but that was because of a different reason. And this is kind of one of the interesting things that comes with the territory of cloud gaming is a lack of performance on a given device. So Nintendo and their Switch we know has been out since 2017. It doesn't necessarily have the 
capability to run some of these AAA titles at the highest quality that they can be run at. Uh, sometimes even when they get down to lower qualities, the Switch still doesn't have enough power to even run them. So mm. Nintendo has relied on using cloud technology to actually stream their these AAA titles to the Switch so that way you can play them on the go. Like, I believe they're all called, like, cloud editions, right? Yeah, the, they... I, I believe they are called the, the cloud edition of the game. Uh, like Control, for instance, was one of the first ones that, that launched that way. And it's really interesting the way Nintendo does it, too. Because before you can even purchase the game, they basically have you download it and play it for an hour to make sure it's even going to work for you. So it's almost like they do like back-end metrics and speed testing and such to figure out if your Switch can handle the actual connection back to the cloud server then right right at least that's that's, cool. that's how it was initially um i i think they still actually do that uh but if if you wanted to play control i i'm trying to remember some of the other uh nintendo cloud games that there are... was uh there was resident evil 3 uh there was hitman 3 guardians of the galaxy and i believe the the re-release of all of the kingdom hearts games yeah, also were, yeah. Uh, yeah, also were that way, too, because it's interesting enough to think like that Kingdom Hearts one can't run on the I, I don't think that one can run on the switch on its own. Yeah, there's actually the first Kingdom Hearts one needs the cloud. Looks like there's quite a few versions. Uh, Resident Evil two, three, seven uh, village dying light uh, has a or dying light two has a cloud version to be released. Uh, the medium. Uh, so, yeah, there there are quite a few. Uh, that are cloud version compatible games, um, but I mean, the, the the fact that they they allow you to actually test it out, kind of like uh, I guess Steam does in a way, how they give you the two hours or or two weeks um, to actually test it to see if it's going to run on your computer. If you know it doesn't work within that time, and I've even gone, you know, I want to say twenty minutes over the the two hours. And they're still pretty reasonable with a person. You figure the the game timer starts when you boot the game. And sometimes there's game assets that even have to install after that. So Steam's pretty lenient about it. Nintendo seems to be pretty much the same way, which is really nice, especially when it comes to this aspect. Right. And I think a lot of it for Nintendo especially is just like the name behind it is that if we're going to release this title for our console, we obviously want to be sure that if you're going to play it, you're going to have the best experience possible. And if we have to stream it through the cloud for you to be able to play it, we're going to take a few extra steps to make sure that everything is solid before Mm -hmm. you go and have that experience. You know, obviously, of course, we're going to see Nintendo first party titles that are going to be right on the console itself. But for these third party ones, it's going to need a little bit of extra lift with the cloud service yeah yeah no and i i i think especially with nintendo uh now that you say that after the folly of you know some of the stuff that happened with the wii and you know no uh i want to say there was like no quality control there for a while um and pretty much anyone could least release shovelware out on the wii just as a physical game um, and it kind of happened a little bit with the Wii U, but we saw almost a desolation of titles with the Wii U. And that kind of, I, I think those trends affected Nintendo in a way that they said, oh, we've got to support our customers a little bit better. You know, that if they, they've got to have this experience, it's going to be a good experience. 
Yeah, and that's always been Nintendo's mantra with their stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's why we were, that's why in the the golden age of Nintendo, I mean, or the early age of Nintendo, whichever way you want to put it, uh, that's why we were seeing those Nintendo certified stickers on or Nintendo certified uh, emblems on all those different games oh, because yeah. it had gone through their rigorous testing to make sure that this was a good title. And if you didn't see that sticker on anything, you were probably not going to have a great time. So it was one of those big things about it. Uh, but, of course, we talk about all these different things, but what's interesting is that there's not, you know, not a lot around at this point. More specifically, you know, we mentioned quite a few services here, but not many of them still exist. As it stands right now, there's yeah. only several main cloud uh, gaming offerings out there, and the ones we'll kind of focus on here, at least, are going to be uh xbox cloud gaming uh there's playstation plus premium as well nvidia geforce now and amazon luna there are a couple others out there as well but they definitely appear to be more regional and one of them in particular is called shadow isn't necessarily dedicated to gaming it's more of a virtual desktop than it is straight up for gaming it can be used for gaming uh, there's been use cases for it with them, with Shadow, to show that it can work. Um, but their initial offering, of course, is here. Here is a Windows 10 desktop for you to do what you need to do. So I, I if you want to consider that, we can consider it. But I would honestly think that these four offerings are going to be probably the best ones to talk about, at least um, though. However... Yeah, these are kind of the big four, I would say. <laughs> yeah, but before we get to that, let's talk about, though, kind of like where things are though with probably one of the bigger like or the heavy hitters that unfortunately ended up going away at the beginning of this year and that is stadia so mm -hmm. the reason why i want to look at that is because of course you know we see things come up we see things either be successful or of course they die off and nothing is more apparent when something dies off when google goes and kills the service i mean it's sometimes the way they handle killing off the service ends up uh, blindsiding quite a few people and stadia was nothing short of that so stadia was originally announced of course back in i believe it was 2019 uh and from there when it launched it already had some issues that were kind of coming out the gate so google had this really long list of things that were promised but it required you though at initial launch to use their controller using a chromecast ultra playing on your TV. You couldn't use any of the other feature sets that they had said, like where you could play Stadia games on your PC or a mobile device or anything like that yet. So you were kind of stuck there. A couple of the other things too was the, um, uh, was the lack of titles that were on the game service as well. So mm -hmm. Stadia only launched with, I believe, about 10 to 12 games and then added some more as time went on. But a lot of it were AAA titles that people already had elsewhere and another like handful of like indie titles as well. So their library necessarily wasn't very big and it didn't tie in with other libraries similar to like GeForce Now, where if you already have a battle.net account and you want to play something like Overwatch, couldn't do that on Stadia. So you were kind of stuck there. Um, another problem though, too, of course, was the, uh, some of the pricing on things as well and whether or not the actual cost uh, was in balance with what you were actually getting out of it. So 
It was definitely a very interesting situation on that. However, when it was announced, everything definitely looked like it was going to be pretty solid, especially with what they were uh, touting as like the backend servers. They actually had a partnership with AMD to work on getting Stadia up and running and getting those servers working. Uh, They also were showing off a lot of the technology behind the scenes, though, too, that went into actually like... um, like how they actually deduced how your game was going to get there for like bandwidth and such. Like, you know, we're going to reduce these things or increase these things automatically, similar to how like YouTube videos will do it uh, with their quality settings. Um, But one of the key problems though, is again, it came down to the games and it came down to the fact that it seems like Google bit off more than they could chew. So Kyle, I think you can agree with this though, at least with, stadia though that google took forever to realize how much it actually took to create a game and they set up several different studios they bought a studio and they never actually self they actually never published a game yeah um overextended underutilized uh, i think on that front um especially when the tech was really there for google um I think personally, I I have the most familiarity with with Stadia out of all the services. I I have used, I think all of them actually, but Luna at this point at, in some form or another. Um, and personally, I I felt like Google really had had something special. Um, even in the earlier days when all they had access to was with the controller through your TV. Um, of course, they did eventually expand. Uh, ironically, I think PC was the last one to get added uh, through web browser, uh, which is kind of weird. But uh, just just the, the the way their metrics worked and the the way th- their communication worked with the server, it's really bizarre that no one really jumped at the opportunity to pick up uh, Google Stadia, especially when. Um, towards the end, before closing down, they were trying to shop it around as essentially exercise. Um, uh, well, not necessarily exercise equipment, but like a, a service, uh, kind of like the Peloton service. Uh, so you could use maybe Google Maps uh, alongside the cloud service for using exercise at specific locations if you were on a treadmill or on an elliptical. Um, but even when that fell through, Google just kind of abandon the service which is totally bizarre uh having that 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 strength in the game well at the same time though you know google will go big on things but then they'll shut stuff down relatively quick too because you know obviously it's business for them but at the same time of course it's it's definitely the way they handle shutting things down so Obviously, they they shut down, so they announced on September 29th, 2022, that they were going to be shutting things down for uh, Stadia, and that it was going to fully shut down on January 18th, 2023, so the beginning of this year. And at least what they did right by customers is that they actually refunded customers who had bought games instead of just subscribing to the service. They bought games Mm -hmm. and also purchased hardware. So Kyle, I think you were one of those because you have a Stadia controller. You got a refund from them, didn't you? Uh, I actually didn't get a refund from them, not to my knowledge anyway. Oh, okay. Um, I think because the way that I had signed up for the service, they had 
um, a thing that it was specific for YouTube premium subscri- subscribers that had been there for oh, yeah, I remember a that. year. Yeah, and it was like you paid, I think it was like 10 bucks or 20 bucks, and you got the, the Google Chromecast Ultra, the controller, and I, I think it was actually six, no, I think it may have been three months of service, and I paid for three months. Uh, but even after the three months, you know, they they did give away a few free titles, or I I believe they actually did give away free titles every month, um, that you could just access, uh, similar to like, uh, the the games with gold, um, mm-hmm. but it it just it wasn't enough, and the interface wasn't enough, the experience wasn't enough, and they just under delivered with you know what they had, um, they they wanted to produce something with you know these studios, but. I, I think they jumped at the opportunity too quick, especially when they were heading into the game and the way they headed into the game. Uh, it they they didn't acquire studios that had like kind of finalized or f- close to finished prod projects, and they wanted something right out the gate. And it was years down the line type thing, and it it just it it didn't quite match up. It wasn't in the stars for for Google at that point. Yeah, and. Really, out of everything to say, though, I mean, outside of them at least kind of doing right by customers, you know, with the refunds and such, and of course, they also yeah. unlocked uh, Bluetooth on the controllers, too. Uh, that was the one thing that... That was the I, big thing. I was afraid of getting the refund is I didn't want to to get rid of my controller. I actually liked the controller, and I need to dig it out because I want to actually get the update so I can use it as a PC controller. It was really comfortable, even in comparison to an Xbox controller, which it it's basically a mock-up of. I, it's more in line with, when I look at it again, it's more in line with a uh, Switch Pro controller. Uh, maybe, yeah. I think. I don't know. I Or I don't have a Switch Pro controller here around me right now. Uh, where it's got the it's got the analog sticks towards the bottom, but you know, so I guess if you mixed actually more of a a uh, Switch Pro and a PlayStation controller, that's about the vibe I get from it. Maybe, yeah. It I don't know. It just had a really comfortable feel, and yeah. I, that's why I didn't even opt for the uh, refund. I was like, you know what i I got what I paid for. Um, and if nothing else, I still have the Chromecast that I can use, and I still have a controller that that's an excellent controller. So they they did right by me in my book. Yeah. But the key thing, though, again, is that while they did right by the customers, at least, the problem, though, is that it was the inverse for employees that were actually working on Stadia and developers because they weren't made aware of anything that was happening they weren't made aware in advance of any changes that were going on and funny enough several weeks before the actual shutdown is that they were told the stadium employees were told that they were doing a great job and everything was going well they had some sort of all-team meeting two weeks prior to the shutdown so you know they were kind of being misled at least as to what was going on but of course what that led to though with this with this immediate notice and without anything being sent out is that gamers on Stadia had to scramble to figure out exactly what they were going to do with their progress. There were some Stadia gamers out there that actually had made Stadia their primary platform. So, Mm -hmm. of course, we had the 
the game developers, at least uh, the bigger ones probably, game developers and publishers, step up to work on transfer options for getting stuff off of Stadia. Uh, a couple of those examples are Ubisoft. We've got uh, Bethesda. We have Bungie. Those guys there all worked on getting stuff transferred over for their titles, so that way if you moved over to another uh, platform, then at least you could still carry on from where you were at instead of starting over. But the problem that we ended up having too is that there were some things that didn't end up actually getting released. So Splash Damage had a game that was going to be coming out called Outcasters, but there were no plans to actually put that game onto other systems because it was reliant on how Stadia's technology worked. There were some titles that did make it over though, of course, but at the same time, I mean, that's kind of a kick in the head, especially is the idea, though, of the uh, the lack of information coming out, like where you may be working on stuff for this console or here or for this service. And now you've basically got to figure out how to keep your customers uh, as they relate to, say, like the game publishers and the indie devs while also trying to figure out how to migrate their stuff over and keep them running. You know, you don't want to alienate them by basically saying, oh, well, we we couldn't do anything because we didn't even try. So thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, yeah. And it was good that, you know, that you were able to migrate saves and whatnot over to different servers or access the games, games for the most part on other service, servers. Excuse me. Um, and... Of course, now we are actually seeing some of the exclusive titles come out on other units. Uh, I believe, what was it, Guilt uh, is launching or just launched. Um, and that was actually one of the big Stadia exclusive titles that um, I didn't get too far in it, granted. Uh, but it, it was kind of an interesting title. And um, it, it's good to see that, you know, it didn't just die on, on this cloud service, which is, is something that, you know, is becoming uh, more realistic apparent fear in in the market today is that games are going out on cloud services or you know on on these services that are are paid for services just to Mm -hmm. die yeah and that's a pretty big thing to potentially risk of course you know we kind of assume that risk though with things like in steam as well but Mm -hmm. obviously those games end up getting purchased and then downloaded and installed so if i lose my connection to the internet there are things i can still play from steam you know but of course there is a risk on the digital licensing stuff though where something can be uh uh what i want to say here be uh pulled back or whatever but but i digress so i mean that's the big thing though is that obviously of course the big Tech companies out there can definitely try stuff, but not everything's going to be successful. And it depends on exactly what you're offering to your customers. And the key thing that gamers are going to want are games. So if we move past what Stadia has already had happen now, and of course Stadia is completely gone, we now move in, of course, to what is still here today. And Again, there's four of them there that really are kind of the big heavy hitters to talk about. And that, again, is we got Xbox Cloud Gaming, PlayStation Plus Premium, NVIDIA GeForce Now, and Amazon Luna. So if we kind of go through this here, we have an article from the New York Times Wirecutter. And they did a review of all four of these different cloud gaming platforms. So you have to forgive us, of course. We have to do some referencing here on these ones because, quite frankly, we don't own any of the uh, newer PlayStations, for example. Uh, Well, Mm -hmm. at least we don't own the PlayStation 5. 
Kyle, I believe, has the PlayStation 4. So maybe you can speak to some of the PlayStation Plus stuff. But um, I believe we could probably speak for GeForce now and at least Luna on some things. But I guess let's just kind of kick things off here in the list. And and in their review, of course, they talk Xbox Cloud Gaming here uh, first. But they also seem to be the one that this seems to be the one that they favored more than the others mm-hmm. is more specifically because of the the library behind Xbox Game Pass um, and Xbox Cloud Gaming, the number of titles you could play and whether or not you would need a, con- you know, you could use controller. There's a lot of games that are built for touch as well. Um, the service is available on a multitude of devices. I can play, I can do xCloud stuff on my console. I can do it here on my PC. I can do it on my iPhone. I can do it on my iPad. Kyle, you could do it on your uh, Samsung Galaxy device if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. You could do it on your laptop. And now, of course, we've seen that uh, Xbox Cloud Gaming is actually extended to be on Samsung televisions too, which right. is a big jump forward too. So you could have your big, glorious 4K TV up on your wall and not have to have a console. You can just get an Xbox controller, pair it up via Bluetooth, and go. Um, But, of course, even though it's definitely got the most varied um, offering out there when it comes to games and device support, it's got a problem with performance still. And I think this is the thing we're going to notice across the board with everything, Kyle, is that unless you have a very good network connection and you have a device that's been properly vetted for doing this type of game streaming, you may end up running into more difficulties. I mean, they make it clear here. They say, after our tests, only 50% of our staff participants said that they would use Xbox Cloud Gaming again. Game performance ranged from flawless for some testers to completely unenjoyable for others, and poor results didn't seem to be contingent upon any one factor, such as the internet connection or device type. Because our experience has varied so much across our panel, we don't recommend signing up for Game Pass just for cloud gaming unless you find a killer deal on a subscription can try it out first with minimal risk. So it's kind of a big one when it comes to varied, like, it, sure, it's across all these things, but but that's kind of a problem. Yeah, and you know it. It's ironic that the staff says that about the service because that's about as polarizing as our experience has been. I mean, I've had an awful experience with XCloud, and you've had actually some fairly decent experiences with XCloud, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, the only the only poor experience I had with XCloud is that. I tried to play Forza Horizon 5 on my iPad. I had gone on a trip Mm -hmm. to California last year, and I had taken my Xbox controller with me. I had my iPad mini. But being connected to the Wi-Fi at the hotel just delivered a very poor experience. Like I ended up having to move away from Forza Horizon 5 to something that used less or or required less like fast-paced movement or you know a lot of refreshes on the screen so i ended up switching to all things um stardew valley just because i'd never played it before and i was like well i'm here i'll try it and that Mm -hmm. of course because it doesn't have a lot happening worked just fine i mean i still had a couple hitches and hiccups here and there but nothing that necessarily detracted from what that game was but for something that would be heavy hitting like forza where you're in the race and of course those turns and braking and acceleration are all important or even a shooter like halo that's gonna be detrimental you know, to your success is going to be that bandwidth, that those network speeds. So th- that's that. But like out on the go, I tried 
uh, I've tried xCloud with um, Halo and other things like using like 5G or even 4G, and it was fine. You know, it wasn't the best, but it was it was fine for playing for a couple minutes. Yeah, see, and I, I've tried, you know, some, I guess, easier to play games on, on the cloud service, uh, as well as like Halo. Um, and I, I think I've tried Forza one time, and that was probably the worst experience I've had uh, on the service, in all honesty. Uh, but I personally, I, I just, I had too many graphical artifacts uh, caused from, from, stutters or or just hitches from stutters um and and just lag that i did not find it an enjoyable experience and part of that could could have been location that i was playing on regardless of it being 5g you know it, it does have to be a pretty strong 5g signal i've noticed in order to get the best or to get the the optimal quality game uh play out of the 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 whole system but you know i i I honestly haven't tried it on uh pc in a long time so i i I can't speak to that but i know earlier on um granted i i think i was trying to do a minor update but it's still it even after the update had some hitches and that that's just normal internet stuff i think just depending on location yeah, and that that's that's going to be the big part of it is that you might be in a rural area and you might be just fine connecting because obviously you don't have like you might have 5G in your area which you know 5G covers just about everything now. Mm-hmm. Um but your problem though or your 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 added benefit at least with that is that means that there's not a lot of people that are on those cell towers and that if you're playing on the go versus being in a bustling city full of people like let's say uh, Denver or Phoenix, for example, you're going to run into difficulties because you have so many people on the network who are trying to stream their own stuff. They're not playing games. Maybe they're they're watching shows. Maybe they are doing video calls. Maybe they're streaming music. Mm-hmm. That all is going to eat up that bandwidth. So obviously your results are going to vary on what exists in those areas. But even so, with that performance part out of the way, you know, that's I believe that's kind of why, at least looking at this review, that, you know, xCloud kind of hits up there is that it is varied performance, but the accessibility on all those devices and then the amount of titles that you can get started playing is pretty up there. Yeah, and the the fact that the amount of titles that, that's being offered on cloud streaming is just exponentially growing at this point and and the quality is only getting better even for like shooters that as long as your your network congestion isn't too bad that you're still able to access it like you would be i i mean even like games like fortnite or PUBG are are begin beginning to be more playable you know where you're you're on a multiplayer game you're on a server and you're you know, you're actually interacting with mass amounts of people. I granted they they do have mobile versions of both of those games, but to to be able to access something like that for cloud streaming, say for like Halo, um and, and be able to access it and play it at full full speed and, and, mm-hmm. and place, you know, that that that's yeah. that that's come a long way even since the beginning of where it was Project X Cloud, and we we were having some of the graphical stutters and stuff. 
Yeah. So that's the xCloud part of it. Let's kind of move, let's, I guess, move on here to the next one, which is PlayStation Plus Premium. But with the PlayStation Plus Premium, this is where things start to kind of get interesting in regards to limitations because this streaming service is only limited to playing on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, or a specific service on your, or specific app on your PC. So mm-hmm. there's that. Uh, there obviously, of course, is no like uh, touchscreen stuff here because obviously you're not playing these games on your phone or a tablet. So you're going to end up having to use a controller. And funny enough, you have to go back in time here. Apparently, the PC app only supports the DualShock 4. Oh, wow. So you don't even necessarily get the HD Rumble or the... Uh... Oh, the the what are they called? Their actuated triggers, um, on on their controller. You don't get to utilize the the neat triggers that that have game specific stuff. Let's face it, for PS Five titles that would be uh, compatible, if if any. And I th- I think they are actually bringing or do have PS Five titles on the service at this point, um, right? But but it might be the way, though, that the controller actually interprets that stuff from the console itself versus from a PC. There might be something else that handles it that just hasn't made its way there yet. I mean, it is a possibility. And let's face it, it really and truly, it's just more of a user feature. It's not necessarily yeah. something that, that's specific to games that you have to have. I mean, you can turn it off on the controllers. So, mm-hmm. so of course, all the titles that are going to be in there in the PlayStation uh, plus uh, catalog are going to be more specific to being PlayStation titles. So you're not going to see a lot of things here that might necessarily be uh, third party per se, at least as they relate to, um, you know, a bunch of titles, but there are definitely going to be those that might have been third party, but were more of like the releases that you would have seen on like, say like PlayStation and uh, PlayStation two and such. So, you know, and it's stuff that was probably like ported on in the future, though, too. Like Resident Evil, for example, was a PlayStation title, and then it ended up on a bunch of different things. Uh, another problem that they actually talked about here, though, too, was that they didn't have many issues with latency or game-breaking uh, problems popping up, but they did have issues with more on-demand titles. So they say more on, uh, more demanding games, such as Assassin's Creed Odyssey and The Quarry, had lower resolutions and frame rates that, uh, than we would have liked. If you're not a stickler for graphics, you might not mind. So if they have these games that are heavier hitting and maybe are those that have more motion to them or are definitely more fast-paced, then just like it would be with xCloud, you're going to start running into difficulty because obviously those frames... Those packets have to get to your device. And if you're moving quick, that's just more and more that has to be sent to you. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, I my my experience with the service uh, was very early on in comparison to where it's at now. Like limited to, I believe, early PS4 now that I'm thinking about. Or the when it launched on the PS4, I should say. Um, so I, I can't necessarily speak to the service now. Uh, but even back then, um, streaming like PS1, PS2 games, it was not the best experience and not just in, in the sense that there were graphical stutters and hitches, like it would just, it would act like it was crashing essentially. (laughs) 
Um, so you you were playing a broken game from the the get go. Uh, obviously it it has to have come a little ways now. Uh, being able to host like God of War, Yakuza, or you know the Resident Evil games, uh, PS4 versions of Horizon for Forbidden West and Last of Us. But I mean, if you are suffering graphical problems, I, I and you're already suffering, you know, from from the 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 Steam Deck version, I guess, of The Last of Us, you might as well be playing on the PC at that point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that's kind of where you end up, like hitting. Of course, is that that's one big problem. Yeah, uh, no one wants to see Steam yeah. Deck Joel. <laughs> No, no, obviously not. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, so moving on to the next service in the list here from Wirecutter is GeForce Now. So the biggest uh, thing for GeForce Now, though, is that it's you being able to stream and play the games you already own through their service where you're basically just renting out the, the computer. Um, some of the big things, though, of course, is that they have different tiers. So besides just paying one flat fee for something, you can actually get on and play for free. Uh, however, of course, you're limited to one hour before your session ends and you have to restart. Uh, there's a $10 a month one for priority or $20 a month for the ultimate tier. And at those different tiers, of course, you get access not only to more playtime, but also to uh, better quality hardware. So you might move up to, say, like a uh, RTX, like, say, 3060 or 3070, you know, for like that priority tier. But for the ultimate tier, you might go up to like a 3080, 3090, or, of course, the newer 40 series cards in those same mm-hmm. Uh, those same uh, categories. So you might move up to those. Uh, but that's really the big thing, though, is that the is that's kind of the limit. Is that really the big hitting thing for GeForce now? It, like we talked about earlier, is that it's dependent on your library. And Wirecutter here even makes it clear that um, is that not every single game you might have in your library is going to even be supported. Uh, it says your publishers must choose to include them on a case-by-case basis and frequently mm-hmm. don't. GeForce Now does not support many free-to-play games such as Fortnite and Apex Legends, and you can check NVIDIA's library in advance to see if your games are supported. So you might have a library of hundreds of games on Steam and dozens of titles on Epic Game Store, but not every single one of those titles is going to be accessible through GeForce Now. It will scan through, it'll see what titles match, and it'll say, here's what you can do. So a game you might want to play, you may not be able to actually get your hands on. And that's kind of a a, a bummer, especially if there is something like more likely than not, it'll probably be like a niche title because um, there are a lot of triple A's that are included in there. But mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of indies that get played. Like, Kyle, I know you're a big indie game. You're a big Devolver digital fan. I could imagine a situation where you'd want to play one of their games and GeForce Now may not support them. Right. Yeah, and you know, I I own like probably 75 65% of the the Devolver light or library that they they currently have out if not more. And yeah, there there are certain titles that I like to go back to all the time and play. Enter the Gungeon, uh, I know I talk about constantly, but it's one that, you know, if I'm if I'm just fed up with games at the time, I can go in and and do a couple runs, and I like to just every now and then I'll hop on that game. That's why I have so many hours on it. Yeah, and the the fact that if something does end up breaking in your environment, that your computer goes down, 
and you want to be able to play those things. Granted, yes, I know your laptop can handle all this, no problem. But mm-hmm. if you were still on like your older Razer Blade, then you might run into difficulties and a service like this might be beneficial. But if they don't support your library, then you're kind of in a bad spot. Yeah, yeah. And that that's the big thing is that their their library can constantly change i if i if i'm not mistaken uh just a few years ago there were a bunch of publishers or even uh developers that were pulling titles that they had previously supported through geforce now so that that's something that can uh flip on a dime too absolutely yeah all of that could change in a heartbeat so You could you the, could buy a game just to have access, you know, through your your shield, and then all of a sudden one day that access is gone. Yeah, similar to what happened with Stadia. Um, right. The last bit I'll mention here, at least about GeForce Now, that they make clear, and this is where it gets to be interesting because obviously a lot of the push on the cloud gaming side is being on the go, being able to play games on your device, wherever you're at, whenever you want. And we all have our smartphones in our pockets, so being able to play on your iPhone or Galaxy device, whatever you have, makes it a very compelling offering. However, Wirecutter has made it clear that your device must be hardwired into a router for the best performance. Uh, so devices that you might want to stream on, such as phones and tablets, they don't have that option. There are, like, I know that things have evolved with the technology with Android and iOS where you can get a dongle that you can then, like an Ethernet dongle that you can plug into your right. the port on the bottom. But then it's like that doesn't really change anything, though, for you. I mean, you're now tethered to be able to get that better experience. So it's an interesting conundrum to have it might be one of those things to i guess look at closer with i guess your 5g saturation in your environment or what your wi-fi speeds are your your internet speeds at home to see if maybe you could get something else out of it so i guess it's going to be a mixed bag here too but obviously if hardwired's the best then kind of in a bad spot for mobile oh definitely definitely um and i mean Really and truly, though, the the titles that they the Nvidia the Nvidia service supports, I I think are more tailored to be in in a position where you are going to be hardwired to to an internet connection because they are going to be your more intent intensive titles, uh, your more demanding games, especially the ones that um the Shield seems to pick up. They they seem to be your more popular demanding titles. So that that is one thing to consider too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really going to be the most compelling thing about all of it, though. But let's talk about this last service here, Kyle. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you know we'll do mentions of these couple others that they even talked about as well as Luna. So Amazon Luna, this is uh, Amazon's offering, of course, because they've gotten bigger into gaming over the last several years. Of course, they purchased Twitch. Uh, they have started up their own game studio. They've actually released several games. Uh, but they're now offering a cloud service, uh, especially by, um, you know, providing discounts as it relates to Amazon Prime memberships. And the problem, though, is like this is great and all like, you know, for an all in one service to have something like this, some of the free games they provide and the game library they have. It's cool. Mm-hmm. But the price is really, really out there. And they even make that clear. So like mm-hmm. you pay for um, like you pay $15 a month for it and then if you're a prime member 
Exactly. If you're a Prime member, then if you want the Luna Plus offering, which adds in more games, that's $10 a month. And then if you want access to Jackbox Party games, but how often are you playing those? That's an additional five. And if you want access to Ubisoft Plus, which is Ubisoft's uh, dedicated service, not necessarily streaming service, but more of just their subscription service to their games, that's $18 per month. So you're talking about, let's see here if we add that up. That's 25 30 and that is $48 a month potentially if you had everything rolled up into one. Right. And the weird thing about it too is they do give out, you know, free titles with uh Prime Prime Gaming every month. Uh that some of them are going to be tied to your Prime account. However, some of those titles are actually Epic Game Store titles. So it's a code that's provided to you or their legacy game titles which is basically like puzzle games essentially. That they're hosted online through a different service. So it's not even necessarily part of that that service. Um, so while you may be getting free games every month that are full versions of the games, some of those titles may not be able to be accessed through the Luna service. Yeah, and that's going to be a big thing, especially for this is... yeah. It's just, is there enough being offered here for you to actually want to go and pay for anything like this? I mean, like I'm looking at their library right now. You know, I see, uh, oh, okay, they got Earthworm Jim on here, Sonic Mania Plus, Tetris Effect. Um, they've got uh, Legend of Heroes, Trails from Zero, or uh, what is that? Or is that Trial? TR, yeah, Trails from Zero. That's it, not Trials. Uh, Devil May Cry 5, I guess, if you want something there too. Um, but, a lot of this isn't compelling enough to actually go and potentially pick up. I mean, sure. Like if you're a prime member, you can go and try it out and see what you think of it. But I mean, that it's just, there's not enough there to actually want to bring me in, especially because I already pay for game pass right now. And there's enough games on there for me to, to play, to keep me going, especially with cloud streaming. But uh, they even make it clear that it's like the, the catalog isn't enough. And then they even talk about the performance which is interesting yeah. to think about because you think about cloud providers, AWS is up there at like the top. Like they have the most out there compared to Microsoft and Google. So right. the fact that it performed worse for them here in their reviews is kind of telling. Yeah, and you know that that potentially could be because of the way their their servers are tailored to uh but I don't know. I I just I feel that the the bizarre pricing scheme of Luna aside from, you know, how their offering is handled and, you know, just I I don't know, there's so many weird aspects about it. The only reason I feel like Luna is around <laughs> is because Amazon has money. <laughs> really and truly. Uh, it, and it makes sense for for GeForce to be providing a service because you know they're they're a graphics company they produce graphics cards they you know um that that's what nvidia does for the most part and mm -hmm. i guess it you know it does make sense for sony and xbox to be involved in the game of course we've talked that switch is minorly involved but not as a competitor that they, they use it as a crutch service more or less right now and I don't know. Luna is just the oddball out. I feel like that it's weird. Like you said, it's weird that that 
the AWS server servers are are so widespread, but none of them are tailored properly to to actually handle, you know, their Luna service. Hmm. But well. Amazon has money, and you know, as long as they have money and they they feel that they're still making money off of it. I think it's going to stick around at least for the time being. Yeah, I mean, given that they... It's not to say that Google doesn't have money to throw at it, but obviously, of course, they decided to go ahead and cut their losses and throw all that stuff out the door. Amazon, Mm -hmm. obviously, of course, is just kind of doing it, but they've also been in cost-cutting mode, though, too, so I wouldn't be surprised to see something changing in the next 18 to 24 months, but... Yeah, I think you're right. I think it'll be around for a while longer before we see anything happen here. And who knows? Maybe we'll see something good develop out of it. Uh, maybe even for the, the AWS servers. Uh, maybe for their gaming servers. And maybe we'll see advances in other cloud gaming service services because of Amazon. But right now, where it stands, I, I definitely think... The uh, strongest competitors in the game, just because of the way their their services are offered, are definitely going to be xCloud, in my mind, and the GeForce service, with a close third coming in with the PlayStation now with the advances that they're making. Probably. So uh, that was what they reviewed there were those four services, and, and we really consider those to be the big four. They make mention of at least one that we talked about earlier on in the uh, show here was uh, Shadow, but they make mm-hmm. it clear though here on the price, this is one thing we didn't see previously is that um, for you to be able to even game on one of those Shadow um, virtual desktops, it's going to cost you $45 a month. So you're talking about an upgrade wow. to a, they say, yeah, it's an upgrade to a graphics card that's equal to a GTX 1080, and that's generations behind now, and then an additional 15 per month for the power upgrade that's necessary for gaming, which means they probably give you more CPU to be able to handle that uh, CPU and maybe memory as well. So that's pretty hard hitting there. 45 bucks a month to do that. I mean, if that is your only choice, then Hey, so be it. Um, they also talked about one called black nut, which apparently is the same as uh, Xbox cloud gaming, but there's more device or well, let me get, go ahead and bring up their actual thing here to see exactly what this looks like here. Uh, yeah. 16 bucks a month. And the games they include here in their list are Saints Row, Cat Out of Hell, never heard of that one before, Technomancer, um, and wow, okay, a lot of the games they offer in here are more specifically, they look like mobile titles. Like, it looks like they have some retro stuff here, like they got King of Fighters 98, but these look more like if they were streaming mobile titles. Uh, not necessarily. It looks like they're a lot of late-generation uh, PS3 360 titles and early um, Xbox One PS4 titles as well as a, a good, maybe not necessarily a good offering, but an offering of uh, indie titles as well. Yeah, okay, I'm looking a little bit deeper here, and yeah, some of that looks like it, but even so, it's like, yeah, that's that's still not enough here anyway. But yeah, their, their yeah. cost is around $16 a month, which is very similar to the current offering for Game Pass with cloud streaming. So there's that. Personally, I think the uh, last one is maybe the most promising for the future. 
Uh, that being, of course, Moonlight, uh, yeah. which will be a f- is free and open source service uh, that allows you to play your PC games on a range of devices, uh, but only, of course, if you own them on PC and you will be the host server for that particular game. Yeah, so you already have to have the titles. You have to have them already installed on your computer, and then your computer does all the rendering and sends them through your home network out to wherever you're at. And I do find that actually kind of compelling, especially because I have a lot of games and it would be kind of neat to have this. But I wonder if it works almost in the same format, though, is instead of running games like, say, in big picture mode or anything else, I wonder if there's a way to uh, I wonder if there's a way to actually like use this also manipulate your desktop, too. So you could basically have like a remote desktop offering with it in tandem with being able to play games on it too. But I'm going to have to do some more reading because, yeah, this is actually kind of a neat thing to have set up. I might actually have to look at this because uh, with my kid going off to, to college and that here soon, if there ends up being a situation where he can't have the gaming PC with him, then maybe I need to look at setting up something like this on his computer so he can play stuff out at the school. Yeah, and honestly, this almost seems like, to, to me, a more promising version of steam's remote play uh that they offer with some of the titles and i really it is title by title basis um but and and it seems to be a lot of lot more of their indie titles of course i can actually do it with uh quite a few of the devolver titles and it works okay as long as i'm in my house um so it it pretty much is kind of limited to your network so i i think the fact that this is open source and you'll be able to stream the devices and potentially outside of your your own home uh using your home as a as a server that's a really cool idea absolutely and i think i'm going to keep this tab up here because i really want to try this out and install it on my own machine and just see what happens i'm genuinely curious just to try this out plus the fact though that it's open source you know Mm -hmm. is is great you know support the open source community out there if you can I guess I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm going to have to give this a try. So that's actually really neat to see there. But obviously, of course, again, it's limited on your hardware with your games and you having a decent internet connection to be able to do so. Mm -hmm. But let's wrap up this episode, though, with not talking about the present, but talking about the future and where things kind of are sitting at getting into that, um, getting into that future of potentially going all cloud gaming. We've had, of course, all of these different digital specific game consoles like the like Microsoft released the Xbox Series S and uh, Sony released the PlayStation 5 Digital Edition. Those are both running very limited storage space. Of course, it is expandable. But the mm-hmm. idea, though, that you can actually have those devices and while plugged into a rather decent internet connection, you can go and stream things to them makes them kind of compelling for at least that possible avenue into making better strides at offering a better service. You know, whether they have to figure out something down the line and have to increase resources or something like that to make it work. Uh, there's that. Of course, again, the how many smartphones are out there in the world now and working to optimize things on those. I mean, I think that's going to be another thing, especially with other advancements in 5G. But... Mm. I think the other main takeaway, though, at least with like the future of cloud gaming is the the ideas, though, of integrating them, integrating cloud gaming into devices that you do already have and integrating further. 
like the partnership between Microsoft and Samsung to put uh, Xbox cloud streaming onto Samsung TVs, meaning that you don't have to go buy a console to be able to play games in the first place. You can just get up and go right from your one TV without having to buy any other necessary hardware. It, it makes it that much more feasible to go and play. And I can imagine for situations like Kyle, you might remember this back from the nineties when you'd go to a hotel and you'd actually see like Nintendo 64 ports in the side of the, the TV console. Do you remember those? Oh yeah. Yeah. There was actually a dedicated channel you could go to on the TV to play N64 games. Yeah. That's, that's one of those things I see is like kind of evolving in like the entertainment, especially when you're on the go is that a lot of the uh, hotels are switching to running like Android TV type setups and you could potentially be playing games streaming, you know, in your hotel when you want to take a break without having to rely on your own devices. You know, things may end up running better in there because the hotel might be hosting something that makes that work better. Or you're just you're going to be directly connected in and could get a better experience than you would with Wi-Fi on your own device. So there's that. And then, I mean, really, it's just improvements in hardware, hardware and, and the resources behind everything going on. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I I think it'll be going forward into the future. I think cloud gaming will be cyclical uh with getting new hardware. Um as silly as that might sound, I I think getting things like a Samsung TV and having the access to the cloud gaming service, let's face it, smart TVs, they are smart ish. Um and the smartish only works for, you know, 4 to 5 years. So in four to five years, when all of a sudden that smart access quits working to cloud streaming and all, and say you've been playing that game for a while, you might opt in to buy just an Xbox all of a sudden and you still have access to all those cloud games, but then you're also buying more of the service. Um, you know, same, same type of thing I think we could be seeing going forward into the future with Sony. Um, of course, they, they've got their, uh, what is it, their Project Q Max coming out um, that you'll be able to stream games to it. And I, I think we'll, we'll start seeing more, more cyclical uh, tech evolution through cloud gaming services as far as uh, what, not just what games we access, but what applications we want to access. Um, and I, I, I think it, it's going to be, because of the the cost of technology anymore, it cloud gaming is never going away at this point, and I it's only going to get bigger and bigger. And I would have never said that a year and a half ago. No, and I don't think I would have either. I think one of the other things, though, to make mention of is the diversity of the libraries, where games that were originally exclusive for specific consoles are now going to end up bridging that gap between other systems and and other offerings so that way you don't have to be locked into one environment the idea though of being able to like you know sony's of course evolving to bring games to pc now Mm -hmm. you know maybe that ability to play some of those games on pc you know a playstation game on a pc through the likes of something like nvidia geforce now yeah i I don't think it'll be the the dissolve of the console tribalism just yet no no but I, I think this is the uh, beginning of it, just because of the way things are beginning to bridge out um, access to, to different um, 
different areas we are seeing PlayStation go to PC and PC go to Xbox and you know in a, in ways you know Xbox go to Switch because of the way the cloud service is working so mhm absolutely absolutely but at least until that time we're just going to have to wait and see and once we find out more of course we will be back here to discuss it but I think that is it for this NPC's discuss don't you think Kyle I believe so. Well, very good. So with that, thank you everybody for tuning in to this NPC's Discuss where we talked about cloud gaming. If you liked what you were listening to, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we're probably on it. But if you're not sure if your platform is supported, go and check us out on our homepage at anchor.fm slash the dash NPC's dash podcast and go and look at all the different platforms that we are on. Again, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to this NPC's Discuss. We will catch you all in the next one. Laters. Laters.